Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Anita Allen. Anita is the coordinator of photography and video at the College of New Jersey and, of course, an artist. And we will talk about her work and some of her teaching practices. Uh, but before we get to that, Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service which uh, you all know if you've been listening to the show. <laughs> so uh, this month's book is Black Diamonds by Rich Joseph Facun. Black Diamonds is a personal endeavor to connect with the Appalachian region Facun now calls home. As a person of color, he defines his community based on personal experience, which diverges from the stereotypes of race, religion, gender, and politics that are often attached to the region by outsiders. So that book uh, has already shipped for members, but you can visit charcoalbookclub.com to purchase that book in their shop uh, and if you sign up as a member you will then receive next month's book which I don't believe has been announced yet uh, but it's always a, a really lovely surprise when a book shows up in the mail. So again my guest is Anita Allen and let me read you a little bit from her bio. Anita Allen's photography and installation works have been exhibited at such venues as the Tate Modern London, National Center for Contemporary Arts Moscow, International Photography Biennial in Columbia, as well as local venues at the University of Pennsylvania, Vox Populi, Philadelphia, Art Institute of Boston, Atlantic Center for the Arts, and the Museum of Fine Arts Boston. Her single-channel video screenings have been included at the Institute of Contemporary Art in Philadelphia, the Pioneer Theater in New York, the Director's Lounge in Berlin, at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, Elements Museum of Contemporary Art in Beijing, and the Israeli Center for the Arts. So Anita and I actually know each other because I send students to her. I'm at Mercer County Community College, and she is at the College of New Jersey. Uh, and so I often um, recommend my students for her program. And I just so happen to have been on the search committee for her husband, who uh, teaches at Mercer County Community College, uh, Mara Zamora. Uh, and we talk a little bit about that on the show we have a lot of fun in this episode, and Anita has a lot of great insight into teaching. We also have a great conversation about her work, so I won't keep you from it any longer. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Michael. Great to be here. So I'm uh, kind of wrapping up the, the teaching series, and I'm glad I was able to uh, get you on the show because you teach uh, right across the proverbial pond from me. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I can see you That's while right. you're teaching. Um, I just <laughs> wave. and right. No, we're really close. I we're know. Really we're at the College of New Jersey. Yeah. And uh, I love sending my students to you. Well, you've got amazing <laughs> students, so oh, thanks. it's a yeah. pleasure. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a nice little partnership there. Yeah. And uh, why don't we start with, you know, how kind of you got started? I There's not a lot of bio information about you, <laughs> right? You don't really, it's not really on your site. I see it a little bit through the through TCNJ, the College of New Jersey. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where did you get started? Wow, that's 
how far back are we are we going let's talk are photography we going? oh okay art. I'm like, yes <laughs> zero <That's> to right. <laughs> my parents um, met at it right <laughs> exactly my parents were in the peace corps and that was well that's interesting actually yeah. were they um yeah they were oh okay so they yeah. is that where they met? They met before going into the Peace Corps, mm -hmm. um, but it was through photography that I came, um, and my father, that I came to kind of where I am today. But um, your father they were, was photographing in the Peace Corps. Yes, oh. yes, they were. They were in Nigeria uh, right before the Civil War happened there mm. in '65, which sounds so long ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so supposedly I was conceived there and then, um, we, we, we left before the civil war started. Okay. And so then you were also not born there, right? No, right. I was born in Scotland. Oh, <laughs> see in my, my, uh, us mind, I thought they came here and that's what, so you were born in Scotland. Conceived yes. in Nigeria, born in Scotland. That's right. <laughs> yes. That's right. Are you nothing are you, wrong with that? Do you have dual citizenship? <laughs> I do. That's awesome. I do. Uh, I'm 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 working on trying to get my my UK passport updated. But I, oh to, yeah, did that change with um, Brexit? Yes. Yes. Oh. It's so messy now. It's oh, wow. ridiculous. So it's it's taking all summer. I haven't heard any updates yet, but. Oh, right. Because you would have had a European Union passport. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's a stinks. huge pain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure for mo more people in, in England that it is. For oh, yeah. Us. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not affecting you economically. Yes. No, no, no. Oh, oh, so that's that. So we went back farther than uh, <laughs> further, farther. I always get those mixed up. But then how do you end up uh, here in New Jersey? Well, I did my undergraduate in Kansas City um, at the Kansas City Art Institute and then moved to the West Coast where my intent was to find a graduate program that kind of dovetailed anthropology and photography and video. I was really, really excited with video back in the day. And then when I started grad school, I applied to a lot of different places. And the reason that I moved to California was so that I could be, my, my father taught in the state system, so I could go for free. And of course I chose not the free place, <laughs> but I, I chose, you know, the student debt that I continue to pay off now. Um, and I went to the museum school for my graduate work in Boston. Oh, oh, okay. You sort of threw California out there. What was the connection to California? My father lives or lived in California. Oh, and that's where he taught. Right. Okay. And what did he teach? He taught African history. Oh, wow. Okay. So kind of connects with the Peace Corps. Yeah. Working in Nigeria. Is he retired now? He passed away. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. That's okay. He passed away in 2012. Um, but he was retired for about, I think, 12 years mm. or so. But every year he would travel either back to Africa or to China. Okay. What about your mother? Amazing librarian and uh, 
kick-ass woman. <laughs> I, would, I would just say that. Um, but I grew up with her. Oh, okay. And, and we moved around a lot. So um, uh, I have a very, uh, I, I like change a lot. I have a, a strong relationship to change mm. as a result. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, academia, uh, DNA in, in your uh, life. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah. So then you went to the museum school in Boston. And then after grad school, uh, did you work? Did you freelance? Did you just create art? What did you do? I stayed in Boston for another five years. I was part of a video collective called Video Space. That was really initiated by George Fifield, who is the person who's responsible in the Boston area for the Cyber Arts Festival. Oh, okay. So I, I, I worked with him and um, a lot of colleagues from grad school, and we were curating video programming all over New England, and it was amazing. So I was trying to make work and curating and trying to figure out how to make it all work together. Right. Uh, and make money <laughs> and make and live right, right. <laughs> and, and eat yeah. and yeah good things like that yeah so at some point then you must have thought well teaching isn't is a good option right i think it was a really early 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 so you know my my father was a professor but i come from a family my mother before she became a librarian was a teacher and my great aunt was a teacher in one of those proverbial one-room schoolhouses wow. in the in the middle of Iowa in the you know early 1930s whatever and so she had a great influence on me so there there was this kind of way of thinking about education that was very rooted in the ideas that that's the way that you you progress, that's the way that you move through, that's the way economically things change from blue collar to white collar, all that kind of stuff was hmm. was very influenced by my family, yeah. Yeah, were you still in Boston when you started to apply for teaching jobs? I was, I was, and I was teaching adjunct for quite a while. Um, and I was going to, um, I was teaching at um, Mass Art, and I was teaching at the Worcester Art Museum, and I was teaching, I eventually taught at RISD, but doing this crazy triangle. No. <laughs> <laughs> always, always being in the car, and it, it I got very burned out. Uh-huh. Really really quickly. Yes. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I, I did adjunct work for five years and I, uh, you know, I think I've said this on the show before. I sometimes you'd wake up and go, what direction should I head in? And it's very, it's very taxing on you emotionally, mm -hmm. physically, psychically, but it's really, it's great experience. But now I think it's so different. I think there are fewer and fewer jobs. So, oh yeah. Yeah. And there are, Right now, two adjuncts in my program who teach for me in the in the photo program, who must do ten plus classes a semester, you know, just to get by. That's insane. Yeah, that's it is. super not sustainable no. at all. No, not at all. Yeah. Are they are they part of a union? Do you know? Y yes, um, but you know that's just 
really kind of one depends on the institution. So they might be part of a union at Mercer, but not part of a union where at yeah. another place that they're teaching. So it doesn't really cover them. Right. I know. That's really frustrating. And I think there's um, a lot of abuse mm -hmm. of adjuncts time. And yeah, they're Absolutely. very underappreciated. Yeah. Yeah. So then before we get into you actually getting a full-time teaching gig, you actually just sent me two shows that you're currently in. And I thought that would be a good way to talk about your work because clearly you have a multimedia, uh, multidisciplinary mode of working, installation, mm -hmm. video, photography. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you said they're up through October, right? Beginning of October? Right. There's, there's the Kiroskiro Spring, which is open until October 2nd, and that's curated by InLiquid. And if you don't know InLiquid, it's an amazing, supportive community hmm. um, that does, that hosts a website with opportunities you can apply to be a member. And through that, it's usually through that, that they, they search for curatorial pools of people that they want to work with. So if you're looking for a place, I would say in liquid is a, a really um, ethically responsible place that really treats artists well. So they curated that exhibition, which is in this art condominium complex huh. in Philly. Oh, how interesting. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's facing the, the museum and when touring, they're three or four different towers when touring, they have all these original arts, art pieces, collections throughout the, the lobbies. And they have individual galleries actually in each apartment building. Oh, that's wild. So I've just, that's so interesting. I just visited a place I think is very similar in Newark, New Jersey. It's an artist sort of residence with gallery and possibly more galleries. And I was there to pick up work for the JKC gallery in Germany. Oh, cool. And yeah, there was, there's a, a, there was a gallery storefront and all the artists live there and they're part of a cooperative that run the gallery. And I that thought, sounds amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that sounds like maybe, I don't, you know, I don't know enough about it, but maybe that is some affordable and uh, good opportunities for artists well, to look into. I, yeah. Yeah. And I think that model is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, and I don't know with, with this place, it's, I don't know what the price range is right. and it's, and it's not geared towards artists to live there, but mm -hmm. they do value having um, independent artists, and having evolving exhibitions. So with that show, I have work that's inside um, two of the galleries, and then I have work that's also outside, that's a public art piece. Okay. Um, and um, I think I sent you for the public art piece. It says a monument to an ecosystem. Right. Those are right. large cyanotype uh, sort of, uh, uh, panels that are hanging outside. Right. This work and, and your, and earlier work that I've seen of yours, this work that seems to be interested in commenting on the environment and ecology and sustainability. Where did that come from? Like what part of, you know, your, 
you're uh, uh, being conceived in Nigeria, born in Scotland, living in the middle of the country, and then the the coasts, and <laughs> going to Philly, and then New Jersey. What part of yeah, that that's <laughs> brought yeah. you here? Yes. How how confusing, <laughs> right? Um, well, I I think it's ironic that. I think my work drastically changed when I moved to New Jersey. Mm. And prior to that, I was less inclined. I was much more interested in kind of a media landscape and um, critique of that. And it's it, it sounds counterintuitive, but moving to New Jersey really forced me to think about nature and think about my relationship to nature in a way that I hadn't in a long, long time. And so my my mother's family are farmers. And oh. um, so I have a specific relationship to um, family and, you know, working with the earth, right? This idea and this, this kind of idea of ethics about that. So it all started to shape me in, in this strange way where I was less concerned about, I guess, media scapes mm -hmm. and became much more tuned into and compelled by landscapes. Yeah, you could see that kind of um, idea of uh, media and communication and the way uh, things are portrayed in the earlier work from when you were back in Philly. Right. And you Absolutely. you made a few uh, artist books about right. that work, right? You can see it on your your website is anita-allen.com. And it has um, a, an air of social justice about it, right? That work? Yeah. And so moving to then work that's concerned with the environment is is a is a difference in what you're what you're representing but not necessarily a difference in a the idea of justice right yeah. i think th that's really astute uh, i think there are there are pal parallels and uh, and awareness on my part although mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm not making brilliant work that deals specifically with that i i think it's more overarching um, oh yeah yes it's it's not so it's not the kind of overt protest sign kind of work right, right right it's not that kind of thing but yeah but yes it's it's definitely that thread runs through it you can see it in the work and then the show that's outside uh, so maybe i misunderstood is it two different shows or is it all one show it's one show oh, okay that right. has these two different venues oh okay Oh, that's it. Because you had another outdoor installation a couple years ago, right? Or last right. year? Right. So the the same work was actually um, used in, in this outdoor exhibition around these apartments that I initially created as an artist in residence at the Wissahickon Valley Park. Oh, okay. And so I spent six to nine months, I think it was closer to nine months. You know, it's quite a distance from where I live now. But mm -hmm. uh, when I lived in Philly, it was walkable. And I spent a lot of time there. Um, but 
after moving to New Jersey, I I reached out to them, the director of the park, and uh, requested, asked them if they had had artists in residence. They hadn't, um, and just told her of my idea that I was trying to figure out how a, a photograph could be in a public space, especially in a natural environment, and still be relevant or mm. still have impact. And um, so I did a lot of photographing there. And, and then those digital negatives I made into cyanotypes and then had them printed five by seven feet. So they're double-sided. Oh, okay. Um, so and the, so they, they were- So they could be hung in space or against something, right? Exactly. Yeah, and you have that um, both on a wall and just in the sort of middle of the woods, right? <laughs> right, right. So there's like suspended. You mm -hmm. can't really see the the hanging mechanism. So the idea was in the park, you know, it's it's pretty densely wooded um, that you would come across the, this blue, this cyanotype blue, mm -hmm. and that it would really have high impact. And they're also in... The banners there are um, holes cut out, uh, right. so that's both for practical purposes, so that you know wind and doesn't rip them apart, right? Exactly, <laughs> and and then it's also as a kind of portal to to see through. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really interested in that idea of having a photograph of nature, and while you're looking at that, you're also looking through too. Yeah. Well, in that sense, it is a, a really interesting complement to the indoor work because the indoor work looks a bit like nature, but also still life. So there's the it's a kind of a created and natural uh, way of representing nature. And the outdoor work is very much are very much pieces that stand in contrast to actually being in nature. Right. Because it's, it's this bright blue, somewhat unnatural looking thing. Uh, hanging in the middle, you know, <laughs> off a tree, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So you have the the artifice and the natural all together in both you pieces. You got it. Right. Yeah. You yeah. you absolutely got it. Oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So why don't we uh, come to the you know up to the part where you're now in New Jersey and at TCNJ? When did you start working at the College of New Jersey? So long, <laughs> so long ago. Um, so I, I was actually living in Providence, Rhode Island, when I interviewed for the job, and I got the job in 99. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So, so you have been there. A long yeah. time ago, yes. <laughs> Did you start out as directing the photography program? I know you have a longer name for the program. What's the, the whole name for the program? <laughs> It's it's the photography and video. Um, oh, it that's was, not so long. <laughs> it was formally lens based. But that's we, right. That's we, right. We um, noticed that it didn't seem to resonate with a lot of high school students. I noticed that too. Yeah, yeah. I um I used to call my program photography and digital media. Oh yeah. Because there was a time when I think we all thought well. You know, it's not going to be enough, right? We have to we have to teach more, <laughs> and so we need to expand what pe what students think our programs are. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting the the shifts and yes. the 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 waves of both interest, and then I think you know, obviously, students are really concerned about jobs. That's it. And yeah. 
I'm really concerned, uh, you know, making sure that students also know how to shoot video or know how mm -hmm. to shoot really, um, you know, as professional looking as possible, right. because it's, it's realistic to be um, expected to be doing both of those. Yeah, those absolutely. You know, for the most uh, basic abilities to, to even, you know, cover an event now, right? If you wanted to do a party, an event, a wedding, absolutely. Exactly. You need some basic exactly. skills. <laughs> I, I, I have a friend who was telling me that he was going to an event to document with video and they, he was asked right before to, they wanted a hundred stills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was really taken aback because he thought he was there just to do the video, video gig, right. right? And not cross purpose everything. So yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I I was I used to go to um, college media advisors, and then I think they changed the college media association. It was it's, it was a really interesting conference, and it was it's always sort of trying to get in front of what's happening, and every you know just how uh, uh, things become obsolete so quickly uh, it was so evident at every conference because every year there'd be something just completely different going on. And don't you feel that uh, in terms of just software mm -hmm. in and of itself and the, I, I tend to feel, I guess it's just also probably getting older, but the software updates seem, and I guess it's also with AI, they yes. seem more and more both simplified and kind of mind-boggling yes. to me. So, <laughs> so it it becomes a really different kind of software than ten years ago. So the thing about that is, you and what we do, we can't ignore any of that, even if it's something we don't use. We can't ignore it, and. On no. the plus side, like you said, simplified, there are, there are very complicated techniques that I used to teach that I don't teach anymore because it's done very easily now in, in Adobe products and other products. And yet I'm always a bit at odds with why are we doing this, right? So <laughs> <laughs> we have this incredible tool that make you look younger and older. And we have this other tool that will, you know, uh, uh, double the pixels of all your images and everything else. And, and you know, so there's... You know, the, I could see wanting to print larger and, and all those things. And and then with other things like the aging and making younger, it's like, it's fun, but I'm not, I don't know exactly what we're doing with it or, you know, why we want to do it. Right. Um, but we still, you know, I, I think because of what we do, we have to show them that these things exist. But it's not always clear to me what application, you know, they would have that would be meaningful. Sure. And I think, I mean... I, I've seen this recently in in discussion posts online about, you know, there's the the idea that if you know a certain technology that you've mastered that technology, <laughs> and it's never that way. It's always no. It's always trying to keep up with shifts. And oh yeah, from semester one to semester four. In my case, and semester one to semester eight. In your case, it's. There, there are things that are Absolutely. already obsolete. Yes, and and I think in in many ways, um, the important thing then becomes teaching students how to teach themselves yes. to keep updated yeah and, and and finding finding the the meaningfulness to what they're doing. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Right. Yep. 
Because if they're just walking out the door knowing that version of you know this software, that's not going to help them. No. So how do you find resources to you know to learn quickly any updates or any changes and and being fluid that way so um, it doesn't come as a surprise, but um, mm -hmm. it comes as just part of the process. I mean, for a long time we were we were all thinking about what visual literacy meant, right? Um, along with visual literacy also came information literacy. Right. And so that's kind of where we are. That's kind of what we do now. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, they, they seem like they're part of the same circle also. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, we, we, we went off on this tangent, which is fantastic, but I, I think I cut you off at somewhere around Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so, um, so I, was in I went to CAA that year and I think I had been out of grad school I taught at grad school um, while I was adjuncting everywhere I was also still teaching at the museum school and I had an interview I had several interviews at CAA in New York that year and the folks that um, you know I, I have very clear memories it's as if it happened yesterday hmm the the interview and the following results of that interview but it, it was very foreign to me coming from providence um down to this area of of new jersey it was just kind of mind-boggling in terms <laughs> of the interstates <laughs> and the um uh, what what i thought at the time appeared to be bleakness and i couldn't mm -hmm. figure out where any of the cities were and there were just strip malls and stores and where do people live and i think coming from providence where everything was very old and in boston where everything's very old right so it was a, a little bit of a culture shock, but um, I can't believe I eventually I'm in love with New Jersey. <laughs> I really am. I think I think the farm industry here, mm -hmm. I think the back to nature and uh, environmental concerns and politics are really, really happening here. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a really interesting state in terms of being incredibly urban and rural and suburban all throughout that connects everything from farms to cities. Um, Absolutely. It, 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 and it's, um, it feels very much like uh, Philly in some places and uh, rural Pennsylvania in some places and then uh, Staten Island in some places and uh, Brooklyn in other places. It's, it's really quite incredible how yeah. the geography and the, everything else changes in Jersey. Uh, very quickly from uh, from exit to exit. <laughs> Absolutely, and I I just heard something about uh, someone was telling me about this the quality of the dirt in in South New mm -hmm. Jersey, the red clay, right? Yeah, and how yeah. how specifically different that is mm -hmm. from Mid Jersey and North Jersey. And yes, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you know, a lot, most, I think most people's experience of Jersey is, is traveling up the turnpike from someplace to New York and then New York back again. And so it's, it's difficult to, to sort of get a sense of just how incredibly diverse the landscape is in New Jersey. 
Right. And I, and I would also say, I mean, my impression when even thinking about moving here from Philly was it, it just seemed very incredibly white in New mm -hmm. Jersey, especially in this area of Mercer County. And it's not. Right. It's not. <laughs> no, um, it's not. <laughs> It's a very culturally diverse, mm -hmm. and um, I, I was very surprised because it's not, you can't see that immediately. So, so my, my experience was opposite because my, the first place I landed in New Jersey was Hudson County, and Hudson County is one of the most diverse places in the country, and also one of the most heavily populated, dens oh, wow. density-wise, places in the country. So then um, uh, we're almost there. We're getting to the point where you get to TCNJ. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So then, so then I moved to Philly and I, I get the job at TCNJ. And um, to answer your previous question, I was hired for to do actually video and media. Oh. And um, it was a very different incarnation of the program at, at that time. And and so I, I lived in Philly and I lived in Philly for 14 years and met incredible artists and worked with the artist collective at Vox Populi. And really, I, I think of Philly as only great things hmm. with, when it comes to the artist community. They're very open and exploratory and you know, mm -hmm. do it yourself. If you can't find a gallery, open a gallery. Right. Um, that still happens, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're, you were there 14 years in Philly while you were also at, teaching at TCNJ. And then at what point do you, do you make the move? So I got, I got full professor uh -huh. and then I was like, I'm, I'm done. The commute was really, um, really taxing. Mm -hmm. And so my husband and I decided to get a place that we have half an acre and nice. uh, we, we looked actually at remote farms, but even having half an acre has been an amazing thing for my work. Oh, and, that's great. Um, yeah. Just in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, w it, was that Morrow? <laughs> yes, that still is Morrow. <laughs> Morrow's a Morrow, who I, I teach with, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hi, Morrow. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, what, what was Mar doing back then before I came to Mercer? Oh, that's so interesting. So we actually met... I'll tell you, I'll tell you the really fast rendition of how we <laughs> met because it does involve some parts of the Philly art scene. So mm. Marl was part of Vox Populi um, and was out the door when I was coming in. Vox Populi is a member gallery. So what that means is that you, you pay, um, you pay dues and you collectively also program exhibitions that include yourself. And we were fortunate enough to have lots of experiences as a group to curate things at the Tate Modern, oh, okay. to curate things of our own work um, in New York quite a few times. So oh, that's great. anyway, yeah. Um, so I knew Mauro, I, I knew of him and he um, was making amazing paintings and paintings on directly on the wall mm -hmm. um, and doing some amazing work. Oh, uh, okay. And so then fast forward like 
nine nine years no <laughs> six years later we ended up together i remember um seeing <laughs> i remember seeing a painting in mara's resume when he applied for the job i was on the committee search oh committee. yeah he's doing a fine job running that yeah. program yes <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> It's on record now. No, that's right. <laughs> so anyway, back to you. <laughs> You're really good at this. Oh, I, I have to say. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know, um, we, we've actually already had some good conversations about uh, teaching and, and sort of where things are going and how we keep up with things and all. But um, do you have any specific sort of teachers and mentors that you've had that, that come to mind that had a great, uh, an interesting or, or, or important impact on you? I do. In some ways, um, it's hard to just think of one mm -hmm. because they all seem to kind of have fed, you know, like their pieces yeah. of experiences that that have really informed me. I, I would say there was, uh, in grad school, there was a professor I worked with who I still think about her and her work, and she was really committed to having students participate. She was a performance artist. She still is. Her name is Marilyn Arsom, and mm. she created amazing participatory, long-duration performances, okay. and media kind of overlaid through documentation, um, through, you know, video duration mm -hmm. and photo documentation of the pieces. But I think I learned such amazing things from her, uh, specifically about time. Mm. And I think that, and also a kind of performative way of, I think that still informs my teaching in terms of Performance is really important. Performance art, I think, is really important in terms of thinking about your relationship to space, your relationship to your body, and um, how that's presented with students. Yeah. It, uh, do you think that that's um, one of the reasons why you find installation work interesting and something that you gravitate towards? I think so. I mean, I was really interested in that beforehand, but um, I think Marilyn's process-based, she did a, a, a piece that was really impactful to me um, or for me as, as somebody who was documenting it and also participating. And it was a 12-hour performance mm. in which she ended up doing a whole cycle of like making clothes, wearing the clothes, getting the clothes dirty, hmm. washing the clothes, killing a chicken, um, <laughs> eating the chicken. <laughs> and then... So some ideas about domesticity and the role of perhaps a housewife idea. Right. And, and I think also just a kind of a huge zoom out about time, mm. about how time impacts um, and how to slow down time. Mm. And her performance was very much about that. Yeah. Well, I, I can see, you know, when I think of performance art and installation work, I think the, the overlap is that when you're, when you install work, you're, you're in some ways directing people, you're directing people to have this response or interaction with the work. And they're supposed to sort of flow through it in a certain way, right? And it right. is it is an influence on behavior. And I always thought that was a an interesting connection between performance art and installation. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I and I think there is, you know, a direct result of of performance with teaching, mm -hmm. um, I, I think is, you know, if you if you've never done performance, I highly recommend working with someone uh -huh. um, or or reading some really simple kind of like fluxus performances or um, surrealist kind of approaches to uh, you know setting up an assignment for yourself yeah. to do something. I did a very short workshop in performance art at Bezalel in Israel many years ago. Wow. And it was it was just incredibly freeing because I was not someone who felt incredibly free <laughs> in terms of uh, my own sort of uh, controlling behavior, you know, and, and it was, it was a really like freeing experience. Yeah. That, that makes me think of, I was, I did a residency at the Atlantic Center for the Arts right after 9-11 and what was amazing was that that program at that time, um, I worked with the filmmaker Alan Berliner, mm. and then we had a musician, and I don't remember John's last name, who was from Britain, and then a third person who was a dancer. And having, having time to work with all three of those and actually have to do some kind of exercise, sound exercise, mm -hmm. physical exercise yes, as yeah. a group. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, and the nice thing is you're all doing it. So you're all looking at equally ridiculous and equally interesting. Right. Yes. Right. Right. And therefore no shame, right. no embarrassment, uh -huh. theoretically. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think that's right. I think um, sort of loosening up and, and, being able to, and um, I'm I'm a big uh, proponent of of self deprecation in the classroom and uh, <laughs> kind of admitting when when you don't know something and you know uh, yeah just sort of you know letting go a bit in the in the classroom uh, when you're teaching. The other thing uh, that I don't think is, or you tell me, it, it seems like you're able to to make work and keep making work and think about your work, um, what, you know, and having this career in teaching, has that been a battle or a struggle at all? Or is it, uh, has it reached a point where you figured it out? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that's ever actually, a, uh, you know, I don't know if, if it is a frozen moment. I mm -hmm. think it's a constant, a constant dialogue. I think the thing I've gotten better at is, thinking about making it a habit to think about my work every day. Mm -hmm. And I think I went through many years where I didn't give myself that until summer. And oh, yes, yes. That, that was not a healthy, a healthy thing for me at all. No. So I think, you know, having to think every day only, you know, it can be something very simple like, oh, how would I solve a problem if I had to do X, Y, Z? I end up doing a lot of that, a mm -hmm. lot of, um, or what if I wanted to do a billboard? What would I, so I, I just try to ignite some kind of dialogue mm -hmm. with myself and whatever I'm currently working with. And I've been audio recording myself a lot too. And that, that really That's helps. That's interesting, yeah. Yep. And you play it back then, you know, long after you've forgotten what you said, right? <laughs> right. But it is, it's a, it's an interesting form of notation mm -hmm. that um, I really, really like right now. I'm really digging it. Yeah. You know, one of the things for me is, and very much like you, I was always like, 
I don't have to think about it till summer. I don't have to worry about this till summer. And then summer came and then something else would come up. Uh, children, uh, pandemic, uh, you know, <laughs> so many, Small so things many things like would that. get in yes. the way, uh, you know, uh, fixing up a house, uh, all, you know, uh, your car breaks down and all right. of a sudden half the summer's gone. And one of the reasons why I started making my work digitally was so that I could do it in sort of smaller windows of time. Right. So I could I could run out, uh, you know, right after class and do something. I could do it on my way to work. I could you know, there are things I could do then and have, you know, have the work there in front of me, you know, the next day. Right. Where I, did, I, I knew that if I if I made these photographs, I could look at them r- right away. And it was uh, an interesting transition for me because I I've always been in the belief that, you know, you you pick the tool for the thing you want to do. And this was picking a tool because I didn't have the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And do you and how did that impact your work? You know, it it just helped me to keep going and like you said, even if it wasn't good work, I was thinking about work. I was thinking about what I could do next and I was thinking about what can I do in in the moments that I had. Um and so I I highly recommend that even even if the work is not great, if you're just doing it, it it makes you keeps the the sort of the critical mind working. Absolutely, and I think even if it's if you can't do it, even thinking, engaging yourself, and giving yourself a half hour a day just mm-hmm. to engage in that dialogue is so important. That's it. Yep. In some ways, it doesn't really even matter what you end up making. I think it's just continuing that that dialogue with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I I think about a lot when I'm teaching is who are my students, right? Where are they coming from? And and as you know, we're in Mercer County, and so we get we get students of all who've had all kinds of experiences and are at very different levels of preparedness, who have lots of different concerns. And um, I might see a little more of that because we're an open enrollment college, but you also must get all kinds of diversity in your classroom of of ability and everything else, right? In some ways, the four-year institution model seems to have a lot of barriers, um, or at least that's the way that I've experienced what I've learned about the (laughs) four-year institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's a long way to go in terms of getting a much more diverse pool of students and a much more diverse everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I would say that I would say it's been within the last five years that I've become aware of students who aren't able to afford food mm-hmm. or students who are living in their cars. And there's the the physical sustenance issues that I don't think a lot of faculty are necessarily thinking about or seeing. Mm -hmm. And then there's the load of psychological anxiety, so much that's going on with all of our students. I think a majority of our students in terms of mental health care. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're going to see some spikes in, in, uh, people's uh, uh, you know need for mental health care after this pandemic, after this shutdown. I remember after years after nine eleven, you could still see, you could see it in the work, the anxiety. There was a, a darkness to the work, and I I suspect we'll see some of that 
now and in, in the coming years too. I would imagine. I would imagine that its 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 trace will be visible. It would have to be visible. But I, I I've also heard a lot of concern, especially about younger students, and what that what that break right. has potentially done developmentally. Yeah, you know, that that kind of stuff. But I think also given our incredibly asocial students. Uh, that's one concern I have mm-hmm. is how I think the isolation has been magnified. And did you know that there's a minister of loneliness in mm. in Britain? No, I did not. I heard about it recently. That it's a new position, and they're trying to cope with or problem solve loneliness as uh, as a condition. Oh, because of all the isolation. Yeah, that's and I think also because people are living longer, mm-hmm. and you know, I I I think it's just there's many factors going on. I don't think that would work here the, in, in our political <laughs> landscape. You know, we're too uh, too much pull yourself up by your bootstraps uh, in 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 our fake political dialogue. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so um, we were talking about students and their work and, and what we see in their work. One of the things I've come to over the years in terms of my assignments is to is to make them more and more open ended for interpretation. The, the assignments still have like a, a real base, in, a real foundation in, in technical components. Like you have to achieve certain technical things in your assignment. But I, I've, I like to keep the things you photograph or how you interpret the assignment very open-ended. And so, you know, one of my favorite assignments to give is, is um, you know, what is the idea of home? And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, I think that's going to be interesting too in the, in the coming years and how that, uh, students interpret that. But I'm wondering if you have... Uh, you know, a favorite assignment or something like that. That's that's really interesting. I can't think of one specific thing. Um, there's one one thing that I think that's really impacted my classes a lot is that I've I've asked them, and this is really my experience, especially when students are towards their capstone year. Mm. Um, and in our program currently we have three capstones instead of what many programs have as two or one and i've i've started to push it much more in lower level classes as well which is about visual research Hmm. and and the importance of having students identify what they're doing as research and and really legitimizing that as a practice uh and so i think i'm very open-ended with something like that um giving them uh, a starting point of you know looking at artists and making sure to collect artists names um whether it's in a, a you know, a digital online format or a physical format where they're just writing things down. I mean, it's it comes out of the old sketchbook thing, obviously. <laughs> but but I think in in the framing, in my mind, they see what they're doing as research and as as important as the data that someone else is collecting for something. Oh, um, okay. So that they see it as 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 both rigorous and 
um, something that will help them have a dialogue with themselves um, and their work as they continue. I think I've been doing a similar thing where I always thought I should save these assignments when they're at the end, right? Like when they're, and they've had all these other experiences. And, but uh, I think there's, there's value in seeing how maybe someone when they start would solve an assignment and maybe how they would do it again when they're at the end of the program. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I you know, I think it's something also to give them as they graduate. Mm. So it's not like you're walking out with a clean slate. Mm -hmm. you, I think having some kind of documentation, some kind of um, way that you consistently go back to what you're thinking about with your work is a great gift that way. Yeah. Yep. And it goes it goes back to that uh, that idea of both uh, vis visual and information literacy. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> oh, nice circle back. Yes. <laughs> it, it does. It does. Yeah. Uh, so so why don't we wrap up with um, your uh, idea of a pro tip, which I always say a little tongue in cheek because. Uh, you know, pro tip to, to, um, on most shows means like some technical thing or something like that, or, you know, uh, some sort of lighting rule or something. But in terms of teaching, in terms of making art, what would you, what would, what would your advice be? Oh, I, I think there's so many things. <laughs> um, I would say getting to, I mean, some really obvious things are getting to know your students and what's important mm. to them. I think showing your students a wide diverse collection and um, both old and current of different kinds of photographers working is absolutely crucial mm -hmm. um, and my advice for somebody who who's young would be well actually young people would already know this <laughs> but but like you know knowing what's on twitter knowing what's on instagram knowing what's and how how that's being used as um a way that curators and employers are looking for for photographers so i think I was very diminishing of that. And I think that's the wrong attitude. Mm -hmm. I think it's very much, um, it's such an important part of the process for students. Yeah, yeah. I think um, those of us who started uh, before social media, there was a real learning curve for us in suddenly seeing this sort of open floodgate of work and imagery where we were so used to tightly curated presentations of everything uh, that we had to, you know, think in a different way about uh, how people are consuming work and, and imagery and all. And yeah, there was definitely a learning curve for me. I know I, I saw this great um, exhibition in Philly at the Philadelphia Photo Arts Center, and it was the artist talk by Ariel Bob Willis. And I, I wasn't familiar with her work or her until I saw, um, until I went there, until mm -hmm. she, she talked. And she blew my socks off. She's <laughs> very, very young. And her, her work is just absolutely compelling to me in terms of how she uses color and how she works with ideas of fashion photography, but really um, throws them a, a lot of curveballs. Mm. Um, so 
what was impressive to me was hearing about her story and that she she had work up in Instagram and that's how she really got a lot of notoriety. So I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. This has been fantastic. Well, I just want to say, I think that you are an amazing, uh, in terms of how you how you pose questions and your your back and forth. I really appreciate. It's like it feels like such nice quality oh, to thank you. to to be to to participate with. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just means that I want to do it more. That's I know, all. I know. I have a little trouble with compliments. <laughs> all right. Well. Get over it. <laughs> oh, thank you. This was really great. And hopefully we'll uh, we'll see. I know we uh, we saw each other for some some sad circumstances uh, with the uh, death of a colleague. But um, but hopefully we'll see each other soon with some uh, under better circumstances. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yep. I hope so. All right. Well, thanks again. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>